Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast, where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators, and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Imogen Craigmile, your guest host for this month. I'm a member of the ISTC and a technical author at Peerbridge, part of the WiseTech Global Group. Each month, the podcast team plan to bring you interviews with people working in technical communication across a diverse range of industries, as well as all the latest news and events from our profession. This month, I'm talking with Joanna Swau, technical author at Open Market, about her interesting career in technical communications. Joanna specializes in software documentation. She believes in clear and concise end-user documentation and single sourcing consistency. I am really looking forward to delving into her journey to the wonderful world of technical communication from her studies in Poland to her keen interest in software and API documentation. This interview is going to be one you don't want to miss. So without any further introduction, welcome to the ISTC podcast, Joanna. Hi, Imogen. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, can you tell me a bit about the company you work for and what kind of technical communication and documentation you are currently involved in there? Yeah, sure. So I work for uh, Open Market and it's a mobile networking company. So basically we create mobile messaging solutions, which is mainly A2P, which is application to person. Uh, so this is these kind of things that, that you kind of take for granted. Certainly I did before mm-hmm. I joined like two-factor authentication, uh, text notifications, warnings, appointment reminders, a rating service, everything that you get automatically uh, onto your phone. That sort of thing is handled by, by open markets. That's really, really interesting. What kind of software and document management tools do you use there? Uh, we mainly use Matcap Flare. And I absolutely love it. Uh, I had a little break with, uh, with my cup flat. Uh, I didn't use it in my previous job. I came back several years later and uh, color me impressed. <laughs> I absolutely love the changes that they did to, to their software, to their platform. I feel that it's more developer oriented. So developer oriented documentation is finally getting noticed, uh, which is amazing. I absolutely love their code editor, which is really fun to, to, to use and really easy to, to insert in your documentation, making code samples easily maintainable across all the um, documentation platform that you're hosting. I am looking forward to, to get my hands on the uh, Markdown documentation import tool that Flare introduced in their 2021 version. I just downloaded the software, so yeah, I'm going to test it very soon. Going back to tools. <laughs> so here in Open Market, uh, we want to allow a full-fledged collaboration between all the authors that we have on the team. So I'm not the I'm not the only author. So our content sits on the Git repository. Mm-hmm that allows us to to work independently on local branches and just push our documentation onto the uh, remote repository. So this is a really good way of treating documentation as a developer would treat their their code. So we kind of use this concept of documentation as a code. 
in terms of in terms of pushing our changes and also in terms of how we treat our workflow. Uh, so we have our own Jira board when everybody can track progress of different projects that we're involved in. And also, which this is a very good thing that uh, I personally enjoy very much. Other teams mm-hmm. can open documentation support tickets by writing an email and it just appears on our board automatically and they can just request uh, documentation changes or updates or basically anything they want to they want to rise with with us it, so the the the, the, uh, the issues doesn't fall through cracks it's not that you get an email or get a slack notification or like are notified during a meeting everything just goes through a proper channel and you just can it's it's a whole machine that uh, that runs really really smoothly and i really enjoy that aspect of my work that sounds really cool that you can work a bit more collaboratively with developers because I know what it feels like when there's not a clear channel to get a documentation issue sorted from the developer. They never really know how to tell you about it, do they? Like what, yeah, you said, like it can be a Slack notification or an email, but it's great that it's part of like your Jira workflow. Yeah. And so you said you're not just the sole technical author. So you work with other technical authors at the minute? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We work in a team. Do you enjoy working as part of a team or do you like working by yourself? I think working in a team is, is much, but uh, I used to be a sole technical author and to just, you sometimes feel abandoned, not to sound dramatic, but you really do feel sometimes, you really do feel abandoned and uh, not everybody can understand uh, your point of view because you look from the completely different point of view to, to developers. You basically represent an end user very often and this is something that uh, is still the aspect is still lacking in the developer-oriented software companies. Yes, I totally I understand what you mean. I know, right, so we're back, backtracking a bit. But So you've told me about where you work now, but can you tell me a bit about your career path and how you got into technical communications co- to begin with? Certainly. Uh, so my career path is not that unique and how I started. I've, I've met many technical authors that had a similar uh, kind of experience and, and background. Uh, I started by studying uh, English literature and then I kind of like transitioned into teaching. So I was a teacher for, for several years. I enjoyed teaching aspects, but not so much like a grading aspect. So what I wanted to do is to keep that teaching aspect of my job and just transition into something that will allow me to just keep that particular piece. So that's where I found technical writing. And that's exactly what you what you do. You're just teaching your audience how to do something. You explain your audience how to uh, how to achieve some 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 goal that that they have in mind. So. That's where I found postgraduate studies mm-hmm. in technical writing, and I just did it and and yeah found by my first gig as a technical mm-hmm. author. Oh, that's really interesting. What was your first technical author job? My first job was in Peerage. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shipping uh, shipping software company. I really enjoyed working for for that company because uh, it allowed me to, uh, in terms of tooling, I've I've managed to grow uh, my expertise because we went through so many different tools. 
that we used for generating and providing hosting and, and, and publishing documentation, which was fun to experiment on. And uh, then I moved on to an e-commerce company uh, that provided e-commerce APIs, mainly just for developers to then do whatever they want to do with it. And that was purely developer-oriented um, documentation, uh, developer-oriented community. Uh, so it was quite a challenge, but that's where I decided that I really want to transition into API documentation. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing here in in open market. We just joined to update the uh, API documentation that that they have there. That's really cool. What is it that appeals to you about API documentation? I think the cleanliness of it. It you you kind of have to cut out everything. You have to cut out jargon, uh, meaningless explanation. Everything needs to be crystal clear. And the fact that you then get to test your documentation, uh, so you you sit with your with your Postman collection or Swagger collection, and you just uh, test the uh, the endpoints, and you fire all these calls, and you kind of get uh, get this feeling of achievement that you're kind of doing mm-hmm. something codey or developy, but it's not really. So yeah, I absolutely love that aspect of uh, of API documentation and working with them. That's interesting, though, because I always think of you, because I know you have quite a lot of language skills. So I always thought you might like words, but you're more drawn to the code side of things. I certainly am. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the languages you speak and how that's helped your career or or has it made it harder, perhaps? Right. So (laughs) I definitely see it more than a more more than a blessing rather than a curse yeah uh but it has it has its 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 pros and cons uh so i think i, I think using english as my second language i'm more aware of of using jargon or i'm more aware of using a colloquial language so i would tend to steer away from that but on the other hand i, I have to keep myself very on track with in which language I think because sometimes there are some you know there are some easter eggs that I put in <laughs> in my texts uh, which are like some fake Polish words that sounds English and it's just sitting in my documentation so <laughs> I, I really have to go back in and recheck everything so everything is correct I used to I used to do like it's a confession time. I used to do. Uh, <laughs> there is this Polish word that I absolutely love, mm-hmm. and it sounds super English to me. And it's dissonance, which English version is discord. And I used to use dissonance all over my documentation every time. So every time I I knew that I used that word, I would be like, oh, I have to go back and actually re- recheck everything. So I would go through reviews over and over and over again just just to check whether that I, I haven't left any uh, anything like that so that's probably a really big con of <laughs> yeah of speaking so many languages but on the other hand you can kind of like detach yourself from all of the uh, social linguistic influences that you get when you are born into a language so my language is more hermetic i learned it in a very controlled environment so 
I wouldn't use like similes that other people take for granted. I've mentioned jargon or colloquial language or even metaphors. It's something that I, I haven't grown into, so I won't use it in my documentation. So like a very good example, but this is, this is an example that came in Spanish. I couldn't think of anything Polish. So like people take similes uh, by granted. Like, for example, there is this simile in Spanish, as happy as a pheasant. Okay. But the uh, Latino version is as happy as a worm. Oh. So, so if I use as happy as a pheasant in my, like, I don't know, Spanish documentation, only Spanish people from Spain would understand it, whereas in other places of the world, the, the translation would be totally lost on, on people. So you need to be you need to be aware of what aware of the fact that if something is taken for granted, it doesn't really mean that that you can use it everywhere and that other people use it. There are so many different variations of of one language, especially English, that you need to be really well, well aware of what words can you can you actually use and what words are very domestic and you should avoid them. Yes, that's a good point. I know that you're based in the northeast now, and there's a whole different dialect up there, isn't there? They have lots of different words. I remember because I went to university there for my master's degree. How do you find that? How do you find coping with like the Geordie dialect? I absolutely love it. I love the fact that my son will actually speak with that accent because I find it very, very poetic and like sing song like. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've, I've noticed what, what you're saying to your point. I've noticed that in small talk, my small talk right now, after living for so much time in Northeast differs a little bit from the small talk that I get from my colleagues from the, from the London office. Right. Because yeah, we, we use different words. We use different expressions for the exact same thing. Yeah. So yeah, there, there are differences. There are regional differences for sure. Yeah, did you find that a bit at Peerbridge as well? Because that was quite, that was like Yorkshire based, isn't it? I know there's a lot of accents in that office as well. Yeah, I think, I think Peerbridge was more like, uh, it wasn't as regionalized as, as the London office versus my previous job in, uh, was based in Newcastle. I think Peerbridge is more, you, you have people from different walks of life, like Scottish people, you have uh, people from Yorkshire, people from Liverpool. Mm. So actually everything is more or less balanced. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. It's, uh, it's yeah. really nice to I like people. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you ever had to write any documentation in a different language like Polish or Spanish or has it always been English based? It's always English based and it's always uh, American English. So we tend to steer clear of, of any British punctuation, British spelling. So yeah, I've, I've never worked in, in any other language. I did do like a support in Spanish, but it was unofficial. It was not. So it, it was just, uh, we used to do a forum and we used to help developers on that forum achieve what they wanted. And many developers were from different countries, so we would adapt to to the language that uh, that they spoke, and we were trying to help them in a language that they feel most comfortable in. But that wasn't documentation; that was just uh, informal informal forum posts. Okay, that's still really cool, though. Like your language skills always. It, 
Yeah, amazing. It was challenging, I have to admit, because you realize that you don't, uh, that, that you learn your technical jargon and technical writing uh, jargon, because it's also a jargon, you, you learn it in one language and it doesn't necessarily transfer into, into another language. So, yep, that was certainly something that, that I found challenging, but I also loved that aspect of it. Oh, cool. Going back to your point about having to write in American English, that's a whole other set of challenges again, isn't it? Because if you learn kind of English language at university and then you have to unteach yourself some things, don't you? And like spellings. How do you find that? I think the answer to that would be every company should have a style book and a, a style guide and every company should adhere to it. And that style guide should include words that should be used and words that shouldn't be used Yes. to kind of give a reference to people from different regions, from different, from different countries. Uh, so you cater for every employee that will be working in that company. Uh, every employee will know what, what to do or what not to do and how to say something and how, how not to say uh, something. Yeah, that's such a good point. Does um, Open Market have a style guide? Yeah, we do not. Oh. <laughs> We're trying to. Oh, yeah. We're tr- trying to trying to create one, and it's a very uh, very good point. So, talking about style guides, uh, you probably have different style guides. The, the developers obviously have their own code uh, code guidelines, uh, how to how to structure syntax of their code. Uh, we do have an official style guide for documentation, but the question here is, is documentation treated as any content that you actually produce as a company? So do you use like a company-wide style guide that the marketing would use, that uh, technical authors will use, uh, maybe customer, uh, customer experience will also use it? Or do you have each separate department having their own style guide because each department will essentially have another, will use another voice, uh, another tone appropriate to their department. We also recognize the fact that our user interface and our, uh, our UX department should also have something similar to a style guide because there is a lot of written content in every, in every GUI. So that content should be somehow standardized and and uh, and consistent. Uh, so we are now working on on creating something something like that to kind of make a user journey very consistent across many different platforms that we came up with. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about the user interface having a style guide as well. Yeah. So now talking a bit about the ISTC, I know in the past you ran some meetings in the Northeast. How did you find those meetings? They were very useful because I could meet other technical authors, especially technical authors that did not deal with with software. So you could meet anybody, somebody who would write documentation for a vessel, somebody who would write the documentation for a railroad company, so it was a very eye-opening, different flavors of technical writings. So, yeah, enjoyed it very, very much. Did you find it challenging doing all the organizing? So, yeah, ISTC helped a lot, and ISTC 
helps you organize and takes up on themselves to, to advertise it. Uh, I did advertise it a lot on my LinkedIn profile. Some, we had some really good, uh, really good meetups thanks to, thanks to ISTC. Oh, good. It made me think with the recent COVID-19 pandemic, I was thinking about whether meetings in pubs will be able to restart or do you think they'll all be virtual from now on? Yeah, that's a good question because there is a, there is a good, good silver lining to meetings going online because it's so much easier to, to connect and meetings can now be hosted. Meetings can now be bigger. Uh, the London Valley meetups meet are now hosted online and everybody can actually join in. Doesn't matter the region, doesn't even matter the country, everybody can join in. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really, really good thing. I think it's a really good opportunity to, to meet a more diverse audience, whereas the regional meetings are also a good thing because you meet, basically you meet all the time the same people and it's a, and it's a group and it's a steady group. Uh, and in that group, you can discuss many different aspects every every week. So this is also a really a really good thing. So I do hope that 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 regional group meetings will be reinstated. Yeah, me too. So I need to make some time to go on a virtual one, though. Yeah, it'd be nice to talk to more technical authors. You said that you like the idea of teaching, and that's how you see documentation in a way that you're like teaching people how to use software. Would you ever like to teach at university, maybe technical authoring, or do you always want to be a technical author, like straight in the heart of everything? Yeah, I think I prefer being a technical author, like a little content creator behind the scenes. I did teach at the university. It was, it was business English. It wasn't, it wasn't technical writing. I did enjoy it because I do enjoy adult audience, but there's too much. There's so many other aspects to teaching that that I kind of think that these that this time has just passed for me. You know, the the grading aspect, evaluation aspect, the work preparation aspect, all of that. It's, it's I have so much respect for teachers and for and for university lecturers. They put so much work behind the scenes that you don't see. You just see a lecture. But behind the scenes, there's so much going on. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think technical uh, writing is more rewarding for me because you kind of have like a almost instantaneous results. You, you, you write an article and you, bam, you publish it on, on, your, um, on your website or, your, or on, on your documentation uh, wiki or whatever you're uh, you're writing into yeah do you have a release cycle the way you push your documentation out or is it more planned definitive dates when things have to go out or is it as and when you have things ready you push them out does that make sense the open market is a really yeah yeah it makes sense it's a really big company so Every team that asks you for if, if you if you join a project, uh, you kind of get a hand handover of that project, and you know exactly what the current release date is, and right. it's usually far 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 from when you are because uh, if it's like in two weeks, being such a such a big company, there's no way everybody can stick to that deadline. So the deadlines are quite far ahead, and it's a good thing. Handling so many projects at once, it's a really good thing to have a Jira board to track everything and prioritize everything. So 
that's basically our our workflow and our release schedule. We just prioritize our work according to the closest deadline and we just take it from there. Yeah. Is Jira a work management tool? Yeah, yeah, like collaboration tool. I use a very antiquated, it was, I think it was like one of the first collaboration tools that were on the market. It was called version one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of similar to, to, to Jira. Apparently it was very uh, complicated. So at the employee level, it was very similar to Jira. At the managerial level, apparently it was very complicated to set it up. And that's why many companies actually moved to, to Jira, which is quite intuitive. And there's a lot of customization that, that you can do to, to the board. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joe. That was really insightful. Thank you, Imogen. It was fun talking to you. If you want to get in touch with Joanna, you can find her on LinkedIn. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want more information on API documentation, I recommend heading over to the Cherry Leaf blog and listening to the podcast, What Are the Most Common Problems Organizations Make with Developer Portals and API Documentation? Other good resources include the ISTC website and LinkedIn. Now for some things to look forward to next month. In June, there are a whole host of different training courses available. From the 10th to 11th, that's the introduction to Adobe Illustrator course offered by Amada. Cherry Leaf offering a technical author, technical writing course, and also an advanced technical communication course. For more info on these, visit the ISTC newsletter, Info Plus. On top of that, as Joe mentioned, Madcap Flare have recently released their 2021 update, and I would highly recommend checking that out if you are a technical author that uses Madcap. Don't forget that the UKTC awards are open for applications and the deadline is the 31st of July. Please check out Info Plus and subscribe to the free monthly newsletter via ISTC at istc.org.uk and then it will be delivered to your email every month. If you have any questions about this podcast, email me at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. I want to thank Joanna Swau for being my interviewee today, and thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. That's it for this month. Join us next month in June when Amanda is back with another fascinating guest and more insights into the tech comms world. You can find out more about the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators at istc.org.uk, or just research ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to tune in next month. Goodbye.